The decade? The 1980s. The place? A living room somewhere in the United States. An older white woman is on the television. She's in her 70s. She's got a modest dinner-slash-chef get-up on. She's smiling. Hello, this is Julia Child. Welcome to this... Miss Child is here to teach the way to cook. From quick and easy sautés to a very special roast duck. Pretty useful techniques here. The thing is, this show and its beloved host are part of an era that today's guest is trying to, um, how do I say, uh, escort out of the kitchen with a glass of wine in one hand and a business card for his food media company in the other. This is Beyond the Newsroom, a space for innovators and independent storytellers looking to shake things up in the world of media. I'm Renata Sago. And I'm Crystal Chavez. Steven Satterfield is a chef, sommelier, writer, activist, entrepreneur, and founder of Whetstone Media. It's a print magazine and multimedia company. Its specialty, food origins and culture. Read the publication or listen to its podcast, and you'll learn about racism in the U.S. milk industry, ancient alcohol from Palestine, and chicken curry from Malaysia. We've all got to eat, right? But have you ever wondered why we eat what we do and where those traditions originated? Each week, we travel the globe to hear from the keepers of our food traditions. Steven started the magazine back in 2016. He's printed seven versions since then, independently, without a journalism degree or a venture capitalist. Part of the the reason I was pursuing my my own path was so that I could also have the ability to speak truthfully about the, the dynamics and the construction of the industry, how it perpetuated racist gatekeeping. We need more like everyone who's not currently represented in that elder, upper class, caste, white male paradigm. Okay, so much I already love here, like that racist gatekeeping permeates every sector of journalism. But I'm also interested in why he does print, in addition to online, at a time when most are are ditching print for online only. I know so few print food publications aside from Bon Appetit and those magazines you see at the grocery store counter. To see something new is sort of appealing. And since we're talking about racist gatekeeping and white paradigms, it's pretty important to state that Stephen is a black man. He grew up in a household outside of Atlanta. He went to a mostly white Christian school. His dad cooked a lot. He would cook like after church on the weekends, fried fish after church, fried chicken after church, spaghetti for 300 people after church. Like he's always doing stuff like that and then always hosting at my house too. So it's very, I grew up like, you know, with the definitely not traditional gendered experience in the kitchen, which I think mattered. Stephen got interested in the art of food through television. I used to watch Martha Stewart. I'm back with Robin Williams and the whole suite of Martha Stewart shows. Really, PBS was my jam because that's where you would get Martha, Jacques, and Julia. New recipe for potatoes for you. It has dehydrated onion, natural flavoring, dextrose, disodium. This is the 90s, so you know, like 98, 99, 2000. Like, the options were limited. Like, the Food Network was like, it was new. It was a big deal to to see, you know, a whole channel dedicated to cooking. I just remember, like, Hell's Kitchen starting the whole mainstream reality cooking competitions. And then that divided off into little niches, like, dessert competitions to Rachel Ray making part talk show, part cooking show. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, Stephen went to college, but his heart just wasn't in it. By the time it was time for that second semester, I knew I was never going to make it through college because I really wanted to go to culinary school. So I went to culinary school when I was 19 and it was just pretty much on after that. I loved it. That's awesome. He followed his gut. So while he researches and talks about food, he's really coming from like a hands-on background, not just a foodie review consumer. So how did culinary school go for him? I asked him about the curriculum. Despite the excitement of being in that kind of space, the teachings were, well, geographically and culturally bland. You, uh, I'm just curious, what traditions were you learning about? Were you learning about African rooted? No, traditions? just French food. Let me stop you. Just French food. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the thing about culinary school that makes absolutely no sense. It's not even that they just teach you European cuisine. You really, truly, only learn French food. The words that you use around how to set up and organize and orient the kitchen, the names of the, the techniques for cutting are all French. Even the name of the school I went to, Le Cordon Bleu, like it's French. So there's a lot of decolonizing work that has to happen and is happening in a massive way in, in the food world. What? French is not even like the first thing I associate with food. White supremacy is rooted in every damn system. When Stephen left culinary school, he went to work at a farm-to-table restaurant in San Francisco. That's where he started documenting the stories of the farmers that he was working with. He transitioned into doing full-time communications for the restaurant and then jump-starting his own media company. If you do a Google search, you'll see one of his earlier writings from that time, an essay called, I'm a Black Food Writer, Here's Why We Need More Like Me. In this piece, he talks about all the assumptions people make about food writers, that they're polished and academic. And then when people, quote, construct this image, they don't see a black person. And Stephen is polished and academic. The weight of representing so many others is heavy, especially when you're one of the first. It's not fair. He also writes about the painful erasure that happens when the forward-facing professionals don't have direct connection to the food, the way it's made, where it comes from. Yeah. The institutions water the content down to what they feel an audience should digest. There's this extra layer, too, Stephen says, of food writers needing to have certain training to even have a seat at the table. Especially, like, back in 2015, 16, 17, you, you couldn't even get jobs at, you know, the New York Times, Bon Appetit, Condé Nast, etc. without having, you know, four-year degree and probably uh, a media internship somewhere that may or may not have paid you. Never mind the fact that people can be taught and trained. And if you were to look at other owners of media businesses, food media businesses, like it's still mostly white people. Same on the editorial boards of, of big papers, big magazines. And maybe this has shifted slightly in the last year since the famous reckoning of 2020. But especially what I'm more interested in is, is the ownership piece because that's where the power shift lies. We're seeing more voices get shine. Take Tanya Hopkins. 
She's a food historian who goes by the name The Food Griot. She reached a mainstream audience back in 2017 as a guest on ABC's The Chew. Everyone loves macaroni and cheese, but many people don't know. Here she is talking about the origins of mac and cheese to chef Carla Hall. So can you teach us a little bit about that? Yes, but first we have to time travel back to the 1790s. Virginia? Okay, but two black women in 18th century Virginia. Okay, well, whatever. Let's breeze through that. Okay, okay. is this where mac and cheese started? It doesn't start here, but this is where it becomes popular. Her podcast so, is really illuminating. She's a food history sleuth, a detective who really has to dig for credits that weren't written outright in ink. It's amazing how she pieces parts of history together and then tells us the true origins about many of the foods many people love, like ice cream. There are so many voices who we are hearing more from. There's Adrian Miller, known as the Soul Food Scholar. There's Michael Twitty, who reached a lot more people after he wrote an open letter to Paula Dean after news broke about all kinds of racial discrimination at her restaurants. There's also Dr. Jessica B. Harris, historian and author of High on the Hog. Steven Satterfield is actually hosting a show based on that book. We call our food soul food. Cheers. This type of food, you can feel when you eat it. And you'll see Dr. Jessica B. Harris appear as well. The journey begins in Benin, West Africa, and then we move chronologically as in the way of the transatlantic slave trade from the coast of Africa to the coast of South Carolina and Charleston and then we move northward to the plantations of Charlottesville, Virginia, at Monticello, and then upward into New York and Philly, and then we do a little bit of a westward migration into Texas, where the the cowboy story. Ooh, can't wait to see that episode represent Tejas. I'm sure we'll see the contributions of Latinos in the kitchen. Satterfield writes, Latinos are the fulcrum of the kitchen. Without them, there is no kitchen, no ingredients, especially in a place like Texas with a rich history of migrant workers. And in Texas, comida means tacos, menudo, enchiladas. Mm. Satterfield is part of a collective presence that is changing food media. And he says it's really not easy being in this space because of the historical racism and also because of the nature of being a Black entrepreneur. Having to hustle in ways that are unmatched is a thing that Black people are uniquely suited in doing and it's completely out of necessity and it is part of the legacy of being a Black entrepreneur in the U.S. Ain't that the truth? Well, what food media are you consuming? What storytellers do you enjoy? Tweet us at BTN, honey. Beyond the Newsroom is produced with support from PRX and the Google Podcast Creator Program. Special thanks for listening. Keep doing you, honey. Hold up. 